Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Dark Side of the Ring this week covered the infamous Collision in Korea show back in 1995. Brokered by Antonio Inoki, who came to Eric Bischoff about bringing WCW talent over to Pyongyang, North Korea, for a two-day peace festival where pro wrestling would be the centerpiece. There would be all kinds of entertainment, but wrestling would be one of the featured attractions. And they actually got Inoki for an interview. They had him as a talking head here in the episode, which was quite the coup, especially because uh, not only does he not do very many of these, but he has been in poor health recently. Uh, But I I thought this episode, I enjoyed this episode, and there's parts of this that were just made for TV crazy, but I thought it was hurt by them not being able to get Ric Flair for it. I assume that must be uh, because of his connection to WWE in some way. Uh, They weren't able to get Flair. They were not able to get the Steiner brothers, both of whom were also part of these shows. Uh, Flair, of course, would be the most prominent living American who would have been on those shows, uh, who unfortunately was not interviewed for this. Bischoff was. Bischoff was one of the main talking heads on this special, as were Scorpio, Too Cold Scorpio, Scott Norton, Anoki I mentioned, uh, Sonny Ono, Remember Sonny Ono from the WCW days, uh, and a few others as well. Uh, Anoki at the time was in politics. So obviously we know Anoki's history as a pro wrestler, a legendary figure, a lot of success over in Japan, big name. And he had parlayed that popularity into a seat in Japan's House of Counselors, which would be kind of like the, U- the U.S. Senate, if you want to use that as a comparison. And he was also still running at that point New Japan Pro Wrestling. And this really, this entire trip was his brainchild, largely uh, because he had been going through some scandals at that time. And in the end, it would doom his re-election bid. He was running for office, running for re-election later in the year. It did not work out for him. But he thought, hey, this could be a great opportunity for me to curry some goodwill. And if we put this whole peace festival together and we broker... This deal its going to make me look real good. That's really why this happened. Uh, they talked about the fact that he was trained by Ricky Dozen, who is kind of looked at as the father of Japanese pro wrestling, uh, born in North Korea. And through that connection, Anoki, as was the case when he wrestled Flair on uh, day two of this show, you know, the people who knew of his connection to Ricky Dozen and, and thereby his connection to uh, North Korea, it was sort of looked at not, not as like a Korean hero because he wasn't, but it would kind of rub off on him and he would be looked at favorably as almost like this heroic figure. Because what we learned during this special is that uh, there is not a lot of love lost in Korea or in North Korea when it comes to uh, people from Japan. And that goes back to Japan's colonial rule 
over Korea many years ago, I think pretty much up until uh, around World War II. And so if you're someone of Japanese descent, and Sonny Ono talked about this during the show, you're basically taking your life into your own hands by going over there. He even went to his government. He went to the Japanese government and said, look, this is what I'm going to be doing. And they tried to talk him out of it and said, look, we just want you to be aware of the fact that if you go over there, you're, you're basically on your own. There's not a whole lot that we can do for you. We cannot guarantee your safety. Which was uh, sort of an ominous sign, I would say, heading into this trip. Originally, Inoki had suggested Hulk Hogan be his opponent on one of these shows in North Korea. And Eric Bischoff went to Hogan, who was working for WCW at that time. And he pitched him on the idea of coming along on the trip and wrestling Antonio Inoki. And Hogan, <laughs> this is just classic Hogan response. Hogan's response was, can't make that one, brother. Which turned out to be a wise choice by the Hulkster. If only because he knew he would be doing the job to Inoki, he probably wanted no part of that. I think his answer might have been different if he knew he was going to go over there and get the win. But uh, probably knew that wasn't going to be the case, and so that don't work for me, brother. Ric Flair was the second choice. He was the backup. He agreed to go, and Flair, many years later in an interview, said that he just thought it would be an experience to remember later in life. Well, he was right about that. He wasn't wrong. Flair was technically the only WCW star to attend. The others all came through their own ties to Japan, or some of them still had deals of their own with Japan. Uh, actually, a few of them were working for ECW at that time, not WCW. But the uh, the contingent included Flair... Rick and Scott Steiner, Road Warrior Hawk, Scott Norton, Too Cold Scorpio, Sonny Ono obviously came over, Eric Bischoff came over, uh, Chris Benoit was part of that trip as well, although Benoit didn't officially sign with WCW and become full-time there until later in 95. So I think Flair was was pretty much the only kind of full-time signed WCW performer who came along on this trip. Now, another famous name, the most famous of all the names on this trip, was Muhammad Ali. They had convinced Ali to come along on this trip. Ali had his own connection to pro wrestling. He had a very famous match many years ago, back in the 70s, with Inoki. And Inoki was hopeful that he would be able to attend. The North Koreans wanted a big name to come over. They wanted to invite big-name stars like Ali and like Michael Jackson, and so they got Ali to come over, much to their surprise. Scott Norton was talking about how the idea for the show was pitched to him. He was, uh, I forgot if he, I think he was in the locker room or something, and anyway, there were, there were a couple guys who came in and uh, were talking about the fact that, you know, there was a big match going on in North Korea soon or whatever, and people started going crazy. And it was Masahiro Chono who told him that, you know, we're going to North Korea and they want us dead. They don't like, you know, Japanese people. And <laughs> Scott Norton said, oh, okay, that's that's interesting. Bischoff was uh, talking about the fact that his bosses at Turner didn't even know that he was going, which I find almost impossible to believe. I, I mean, I guess it's possible, but the fact that he didn't even tell his bosses that he was going on this trip to, of all places, North Korea, and he was taking Ric Flair with him, one of the biggest attractions in his company. Bischoff said he could have gone to the federal government and asked for permission. That could take up to six months. 
So he just decided to check in with some friends of his in the media. Uh, and this wasn't in the special, but this is from other interviews that Eric has done over the years. He went to some of these people and said, look, if I do this, am I going to go to jail? And when they told him that, look, at worst, you know, they might detain you. They might ask you some questions, the, the U.S. government, that is, about why you're doing this. Why are you going to North Korea? but they probably won't throw you in jail. Once he heard that, he said, okay, I'm going. I just want to make sure I'm not going to get locked up. And if that's not the case, then we're going to go on this trip. North Korea sends a military plane to Japan, which is where they had to uh, fly from, to pick up everybody. And Scott Norton is talking about this plane was a piece of shit. It was like some plane from the 1940s. He said Ric Flair was losing his mind over the plane. And yeah, they didn't mention this in the special, which is kind of egregious. I don't know why you wouldn't bring that or have somebody bring this up. The fact that Ric Flair, of all people, has every right to freak out if he's in some rickety plane because the guy was in a fucking plane crash and almost died, broke his back many years ago. So if anybody has a right to be freaking out about being on a plane, it's Ric Flair. But Too Cold Scorpio was talking about how he had a window seat and he was looking out the window and he could see tanks positioned from South Korea aiming at North Korea and from North Korea tanks aiming or cannons or whatever aimed at South Korea. And at that point, he's thinking to himself, what the hell have I gotten myself into? So Scott Norton, they talk about landing. And as soon as they land, the, the North Koreans start going through their bags very kind of furiously and violently you know, pulling stuff out of their bags and confiscating stuff. They took all their passports away from them. You know, some of them had Walkmans and they took those away. Anything from America. They did not want them to have on them. And Flair was losing it. And Scorpio's wondering what the hell, what were they need our passports for? Why are they taking our passports away from us? So one of the talking heads in the special was a former correspondent at the time for CNN who would cover North Korea. And in fact, he was covering them on this trip. This guy, Mike Chinoy, and he was just talking about how different it is in that country. And it's just everything about this trip and everything about this event was just very bizarre. North Korea, they're so cut off and isolated from the rest of the world. I mean, I've read stories about the North Koreans at that time, or not interviewing, but inviting uh, celebrities and politicians and like, you know, well-known names to come for, for state visits and stuff. And there was one story I read, apparently they were... They were inviting, uh, or they wanted to invite Bill Clinton, and they got Roger Clinton instead. Just like stupid stuff like that, because these guys are so cut off from the rest of the world. It's just, it's such a such a bizarre place to be if you are from America or if you're from another country, and they kind of just drop you in there. It's just almost, it feels like being in Bizarro Land, just because of how regimented and how controlled things are over there. Bischoff said they knew things were serious because as soon as they got there, they paired everybody off in twos. They they sent them to cars where everybody had their own chaperone that was going to be around them 24 hours a day. Somebody told him, might have been his uh, handler who told him, you know, or maybe the driver. You're only the seventh American to step foot in North Korea that had not been shot down or captured. And that pretty much put things in perspective for Bischoff at that point. Ric Flair in his book, uh, To Be the Man, talked about how his handler was stunned 
to find out how expensive the Rolex watch was that he was wearing. Now think about how much money the people, probably even today, but you know, back then in North Korea were making. I don't have the numbers in front. I mean, I've read about it before, but nothing. They basically made nothing. And here's this American saying, oh yeah, I got like a you know $15,000 Rolex watch on my wrist. Meanwhile, this guy who lives in North Korea probably doesn't even make $15,000 in a year. And this guy is wearing it on his wrist. And Flair just could not, he couldn't believe it. He had no idea that this is how things were over there. Bischoff mentioned they were all given flowers. They had to make a pit stop to the statue of Kim Il-sung, who had died the year before, the fallen leader of North Korea who had passed away. And they had footage of this. They actually had some limited footage from parts of the trip, which was fascinating. That was one of the best parts of the documentary, is that some of this was recorded and preserved on video. So you see Muhammad Ali at the airport doing magic tricks for some of the wrestlers, trying to entertain them. There's footage of these guys. Here's Ric Flair, right? where the heavyweight champion of the world. Uh, maybe at that point he wasn't, but here's Ric Flair with flowers walking up to to pay tribute, to pay homage to this fallen communist, you know, dictator. It's just bizarre to to see. But what are you going to do? I mean, when you're over there and they're like, "This is what you're going to do," <laughs> you're not going to turn around and say, "Fuck you, I'm not doing that." I mean, you could, but you're probably not going to find your way home if you do that. So Scott Norton was talking about what it was like being in the hotels over there. Any any movement they made, any time they walked out of the room, there was somebody outside that room following them at all times. The TV that they had in their hotel rooms only had like three channels. It was all filled with state propaganda and news and political news. And he was going crazy because he had nothing to do. There's no, there's no way to entertain yourself. So they find out that downstairs in one of the rooms, there's a pool table, which shocked them that they actually had a pool table. So they go down there and they're playing pool. And one of the balls I, I went flying off the pool table when he hit it and it fell. It was like bouncing on the floor and it fell at the feet of some of the guards and the guards flipped out and they said, that's it. No more pool. <laughs> and Norton wanted to kill these guys, but he had to stop himself. He was restrained by some of the other wrestlers, but he had to stop himself and say, look, if I do something I'm going to regret here, I ain't going to get out of here. So I have to control my temper and basically just eat shit and enjoy it. But he was losing his mind. Now Bischoff told one story about how he went for a morning run, a morning jog. When the sun was first coming up, the streets were totally empty. And as people started to come out, it was like it was like the parting of the Red Sea. They were looking at Bischoff with these looks of just sheer terror on their faces because this fear of the American people and how the American people are evil and bad. And this is what they're taught. This is how they're educated. It is instilled in them from birth. And here's this American who's just running all by himself down the street. How often do they see this? He gets back to the hotel. His handler is livid. And Bischoff is worried now that this woman, you know, her her life could potentially be in jeopardy, that they might kill her because they allowed him to kind of slip out and go on this run unattended. So then they shift. And you can hear the producer ask Scott Norton if he's aware of there being an incident on this trip involving two cold Scorpio and Road Warrior Hawk. 
And he says, yes. And Bischoff is asked the same question. He goes, no. He goes, I, I've not heard of this until now. The fact that Too Cold Scorpio had hatched a plan to murder Road Warrior Hawk in North Korea. Bischoff says, I had, this is the first time I'm hearing of this. So Scorpio starts telling the story. He says, first of all, he had heat with Ric Flair over something that happened back when he was in WCW and he believed that Flair cost him his job in WCW. So he already had no uh, real good, positive, fuzzy feelings about Ric Flair coming into this. In North Korea, on the trip, Hawk apparently was riding with Flair. Flair was the one guy who actually had a car to get from point A to point B. I'm sure he wasn't the one doing the driving. He had a car. Everybody else had to go by bus. So one day, Hawk decides to ride the bus with the boys. And Flair comes on the bus and he's looking for him. And Scorpio just shouts, Fuck that pussy. Let him ride by himself. I guess in reference to Flair. Hawk turns around. And says, what did you say? And Scorpio says, well, what part of what I just said did you not understand? Was it the pussy part? Or was it the ride by himself part? And that set off Hawk. Scorpio claims that Hawk used the N-word on him. He came at him. Hawk threw a punch that he says missed. And then Scorpio landed a whole bunch of shots. Hawk was bleeding. Scorpio went for his eye. He tried to rip his eyeball. He had his eyeball halfway out of his skull. Some of the Japanese wrestlers pulled him off. Scott Norton, his take on it is, Hawk was battling hepatitis C at the time. And I think Road Warrior Animal mentioned that on the uh, Road Warriors Dark Side of the Ring special. Hawk did a lot of stuff that he shouldn't have done. Hawk was out of control. When it came to the partying and the booze and the drugs, even when he was in Japan, Hawk was out of control. And took and did a lot of shit that he shouldn't have. He ended up with hep C. And he was on this drug called interferon at that time, which makes you very weak and very sick. And Norton says he was on interferon during this trip. And he said, Scorpio can think whatever he wants, but if this was normal, fully healthy Mike Hegstrand, he would have killed Too Cold Scorpio. And you could tell, you know, Norton was obviously friendly with Hawk and you know, seem to be taking his side in things and doesn't take very kindly to Scorpio telling these stories. And he believes that if Hawk was of was of good health at that time, things would have gone very, very differently. And maybe they would have. So Norton tells a story about trying to call his wife at home. He's in his hotel room. He calls his wife. His wife is asking, where the hell have you been? She thought he was out partying with the other guys. He's trying to explain to her, you don't understand. <laughs> you don't get what's going on here and, and, and the kind of shithole that we're in here. And as soon as he says shithole and he's insulting North Korea, the phone line goes dead. He thought that maybe his wife had hung the phone up on him. And all of a sudden there's a knock on the door and he opens the door and it's this uh, gentleman who speaks perfect English who says, you've got to come with me. They take him into a room. They're like detaining him basically in this room. And it's being guarded by these armed military guards. And all of a sudden into the room comes this guy. He calls him the top dude. And he tells him in English, you cannot say anything bad about North Korea. We are a superior country and blah, blah, blah. And it was at this point that he realized that his phone was bugged or his phone was was tapped. His room was probably bugged. They are listening in on his conversations. They are monitoring his every move. Now he is completely freaked out. 
He apologizes. He says, I'm not going to say anything bad about North Korea. In an interview that he did years ago with the Hannibal TV YouTube channel, Norton said that, you know, after that meeting, he's just back in his hotel room sitting there thinking, or maybe when he was in the interrogation room, he's just sitting there thinking, the hell have I gotten myself into? Nobody knows I'm down here. Nobody knows where I am. Right? They, remember, they took their passports away from them. So as far as they know, they can't even get out of the country unless they get their passports back. And he's just thinking, this is it. This is how it ends. I'm dead. And he says that he believes if if Antonio Inoki was not on that trip, because the belief is that Inoki had made a call to smooth things over. They let him go. But Norton believes that if Inoki was not on that trip and if Muhammad Ali was not on that trip, he would be a goner. Because who the hell is he? He's just a random pro wrestler. Nobody knows. Nobody cares. But when you have a big celebrity like Muhammad Ali on the trip, and you know they're they're less likely to do something. That that's at least what he was thinking. But he's convinced that he would have been dead, were it not for those guys being on the trip. So back to Hawk and Scorpio. Scorpio says he tried to smooth things over with Hawk. Let bygones be bygones. Claims that Hawk took a swing at him instead. So they get into another scuffle that has to be broken up. And later on, Scorpio is thinking, okay, you know what? I got I to gotta take things to the next level. They're at a state dinner. And very covertly, he smuggles a set of steel chopsticks out of the dinner. And at the time, he was rooming with Chris Benoit. Chris Benoit, he was dorming with Chris Benoit. And he decides to make a shiv out of the chopsticks. And he mentions that his father was in prison, so he knows how to make a shiv. He's sharpening them on the windowsill. And Benoit was trying to talk some sense into him. Now imagine, Chris Benoit trying to be the voice of reason and talk someone out of committing the act of murder. He tells Scorpio, look, if you kill him, you're never going to leave this country. And I have to say, you know, listening to him tell these stories, as entertaining as as Scorpio was here, Scorpio comes off on this show, in this episode, like the biggest fucking idiot in the world. I don't know if he thought he was coming off as cute, like, or just trying to be funny or what, but he comes off like a complete dumbass in this episode. Why in the world, of all the places, to even think about murdering someone, would you choose to do it in North Korea? When you know that you're not going to leave, you're going to be stuck there for the rest of your life if you try to tr- if you try to pull something like that. So it's time for the shows. Day one of this two-day festival. Norton is in a limousine riding with Flair. And they see lanes of people walking to the stadium. And here's Scott Norton thinking, boy, you know, we're a big deal. We got, we're like made men here. Look at all these people. And the driver turns around and says, no, these people are forced to be there. And if they don't attend, they get a bullet in the head. Don't give the Saudi prince any ideas for those Saudi Arabia shows. Bischoff talked about there being 170,000 people there. And he's thinking, boy, we're leaving WrestleMania in the dust. They're going to be so jealous of us. When the show begins, Bischoff realizes very quickly, as all the wrestlers do, that these people have no fucking clue what they're watching. They don't know what pro wrestling is. If anything, they thought probably it was something like amateur wrestling. But they see these guys coming out, they see Scorpio coming out and dancing and doing almost like a spin-a-rooney type move. They're wearing all this this gaudy attire. 
Here's Bull Nakano with her hair, you know, six inches up in the air. <laughs> you know, Ric Flair in his purple robe. Silk blonde hair. They don't have any idea what they're what they're watching here. They're like, what the hell is this? So nobody is reacting. You have a stadium with 190,000 people in it. And Norton says that it sounds like it's, there's more noise in this room that you're interviewing me in right now than there was in the stadium that day. You could hear a pin drop. He's in there wrestling Shinya Hashimoto for the IWGP Championship in the main event on night one, or day one, I guess it was. And no matter what they did, they're busting their asses. Nothing they did mattered. Nobody was reacting to anything. And they went to a, a 20-minute draw on that show. So then on day two, it all comes down to Anoki. Anoki is in the big feature match in the main event against Ric Flair. This was the big main event that everything was being built around. And even the Anoki match with Flair, it's very quiet for the first, whatever, you know, 10, 12 minutes of it or so. But slowly, it's Anoki who starts to get the crowd into the match. And again, he's he's kind of, he's the guy who is, you know, defending the honor of his mentor, Ricky, the great Ricky Dozan, who is this big name with this uh, history of, you know, being North Korean. And Ricky Dozan hid the fact that he was from North Korea because, again, it would have basically killed his career and it could have put him in jeopardy himself. It was in 1963, they cover the whole situation where Ricky Dozan is murdered by the uh, Yakuza. Honestly, Ricky Dozan probably deserves a Dark Side of the Ring episode of his own. Not just a 30-second or 60-second segment. Especially his death and everything. I, I'd, I'd like to say, I don't, I don't know what kind of footage they can get in Talking Heads. It was so long ago. That's what makes doing a show on someone like him so difficult. Because it's a visual show. And you need to have people, you know, you can have a historian or two. You can have like a Dave Meltzer or somebody on there talking about Ricky Dozan. But, you know, you've got to have footage. You've got to have some interesting things to show. If they can find enough, I think that he definitely deserves an episode of his own. But they finally got a reaction. You know, Flair put the work in too. To, you know, it takes two to tango, but Anoki is really the one who ended up getting people into the show. By the end there, they're reacting, and it looks like they're actually having fun. And Scott Norton calls it the greatest match in the history of the business. I would say if this match had led to some kind of actual peace deal then I would call it the greatest match of all time. This was not the greatest match of all time, and yes, I've watched it. It's not the greatest match of all time. So the festival itself comes to a close. They're getting ready to go home. And they have one dinner left. Scorpio and Hawk come face-to-face in the hallway. They get into an elevator together, and Scorpio says to him, you want to finish this? He claims that Hawk apologized said uh, he was just cranky because he had no pills and he had no steroids on him. Scorpio accepted his apology, but he told Hawk, look, when we get back to Tokyo, we can finish this. And that didn't end up happening, Scorpio says, because he got an ass whooping and he learned that Scorpio ain't one to mess with. Now, I don't doubt that Too Cold Scorpio is a tough guy and he knows how to make a shiv, but we're only getting one side of the story here because the other guy is dead. Hawk was no angel. He probably did mouth off to Scorpio and say something that he shouldn't have said. But again, Scorpio, very entertaining in this, but came across like a very, very dumb person trying to murder someone in a country with a communist dictatorship that confiscated their passports upon arrival. 
Not the sharpest knife in the drawer, the sharpest shiv in the drawer is Too Cold Scorpio. That's what I got out of this episode. Bischoff says, when they got back to Japan, Ric Flair got, and Scott Norton said the same thing, Ric Flair in his multi-thousand dollar suit and alligator shoes gets down on his hands and knees and he kisses the ground. Kisses the tarmac. Once they get off the plane and he's wooing and he's so happy to be in Japan. He's so happy he survived. Anoki ended up losing that re-election bit of his later in the year. Got out of politics for a very long... He eventually got back into politics, but he got out of politics for a very long time. Scorpio said that being able to wrestle in front of such a big crowd like that is the one and only thing he has over Hulk Hogan. He could say that I wrestled in front of 190,000 people two nights in a row. Eric Bischoff said that he's been a part of WrestleMania. He's attended Super Bowls. They all pale in comparison to what he saw in North Korea. And he says he knows Vince McMahon was livid. They had a bigger crowd than WrestleMania. But then he admitted that his joy didn't last very long because he found out that people were forced to be there. But still, technically, he says he was part of the largest wrestling event in the world. He goes, yep, I did that. Meanwhile, the show, once it aired on pay-per-view, only did 30,000 buys, which was a fail. It's not available on the WWE Network if you try to bring it up on there or on Peacock. So either WCW did not have the rights to the footage at the time that WWE acquired their library. Or maybe they have it and they just think that it's too controversial to put up. I don't know. But if you search around online, you can find the show. It's not a great show, but if you want to just take a look at it, watch the main event on night two. If you search, you can find it. Honestly, one of the best stories they didn't even cover was Kensuke Sasaki and Akira Hokuto meeting on this trip for the very first time. They didn't just have male wrestlers there. They also had some Japanese female wrestlers there. They met on this trip for the very first time. They fell madly in love. And they had, supposedly, as as the story goes, they had sex at the hotel so loud, it woke everybody up, and the cops had to be called. And then, later that year, they got married, and they've been together ever since. Now see, that's a love story. And how that didn't get mentioned, I'll never know. But that's your Dark Side of the Ring review on Collision in Korea. Very interesting episode that, if anything, I think was hurt by not having more people to talk to. And, you know, some people are, are gone, but, again, Flair would have been nice to have. I understand if they couldn't get him. Uh, Rick Steiner was there. Scott Steiner was there. Don't know why they either didn't try or if they did, why they didn't want to participate. So it may not be their fault, but that did, I think that did hurt the episode a little bit. But uh, on the whole, I enjoyed it. It's a wild story. It is a wild and crazy story. We have Warrior Week coming up. As I am recording this tonight, The Ultimate Warrior is being featured on the WWE A&E Biography series. So you'll get one perspective from there. And then the next episode of Dark Side of the Ring, which I'll review next week, is on The Ultimate Warrior. And I'm sure that'll be a very different perspective on The Warrior and the man behind the face paint and his career. And so it's going to be very interesting to see how the two episodes compare. I'll have a review of everything next week. If you enjoy these reviews, and I hope you do, if you're watching this on YouTube, please hit that thumbs up button, leave a comment down below, and until next time, take care guys.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.